Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, you may not be aware of this, depending on how long you've been in church and your background and experience with church, but what we have at Sojourn is special and rare today. Here's what I mean by that. It is normal in many church settings, and especially in our country today, for you to show up into a worship gathering, you walk in, you find a seat, you sing a few songs, you listen to a message, and then you return home without ever having a meaningful interaction with another person or another follower of Jesus. I know this because some of you have experienced this. I myself have experienced this. In those settings, it's even likely that you don't know the person sitting next to you. Now, it's one thing if you're a visitor, but you may go weeks on end, and you don't know the person sitting next to you, so it's just like going to a movie theater, much less even knowing their name. But those other people, if they're genuine followers of Jesus, they are your spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, your spiritual siblings. In 1 John, we're actually told that not loving our fellow Christ followers is evidence that we have not passed from death to life ourselves. Thankfully, this is not the case at Sojourn. And if anything, one's experience when they would show up here is the complete opposite. And for the occasional what I call church shopper, it can be actually a little unsettling, maybe a little unnerving or unusual Because they come in, they experience our second value of family. Essentially, everyone's probably going to say hello to you. You may not remember their names, but you might be bombarded with the opposite reaction. But for those of you who stick around, and I'm looking at some of you, I think that in the end, you get a more holistic view and vision of what the church is meant to be. And I know that because I've gotten your feedback. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5, where we're continuing our series. We're actually going to have about three weeks left in this series. Uh, This week, Paul is going to focus on how it is that we treat and honor one another in the church. In this passage of 1 Timothy 5, we're going to see the term honor three different times in this text. Now, in, in the Greek, in the original language, the connotation for the word honor here, it carries the English word value. So when you see honor, how is it that I value this individual? How is it that I value this person in my life? As Romans 12.10 tells us, it says, love one another and outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, that could be our slogan right there, right? Like Romans 12.10, maybe that's what you should put on your mirror that you look at in the morning, or maybe on your phone in case you don't look at a mirror, look at some of you probably don't look at a mirror in the morning, this would be a joke, or on your, or on your rear view mirror in your car that says, love one another, now do one another in showing honor. Unfortunately, we live in a day where we seem to have lost honor. People just don't honor one another. Kids don't honor their parents. Students don't honor their teachers. Church members don't honor their leaders, and so forth. And so the main idea this morning is we are to honor all people, especially within the family of God. Of all people in society, we should be known as the people who show honor, even to those that we don't agree with, and those outside the faith family. They say, man, I don't agree with their beliefs, I don't agree with this, but man, do they show honor. Do they show the value of life. 
And so in this text specifically, here's how we're going to see what to honor. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. He's going to tell us to first honor one another. He's then going to tell us to honor widows. And so we have, a, actually, that's the biggest chunk of this passage. He's then going to tell us to honor elders. And then finally, he'll tell us to honor authority in our lives. And so number one this morning, honor one another like family. Let's look at verses one and two of chapter five. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as or older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Timothy is in a church that's made up of mixed ages and races and genders. And he, he's, he's able to relate to people in different ways. Although the term honor is not here in these first verses, it is implied and applied that you should honor these people. Now we have to remember, I think it was last week, that Paul told us that Timothy was a younger man. He said, let no one despise you for your youth. And so he was a younger pastor, and you have to imagine at times, as a younger pastor naturally would, he would have to sometimes rebuke someone who was much older than him, an, an older man, a man that's probably his father's age. But he's told that it's not that you don't do that, but you're to do it respectfully and do it in a way that will encourage them in their faith. I don't feel like we necessarily have that issue at Sojourn, as our senior adult minister here is uh, someone who's in their 40s. Okay. That was also meant to be a joke, and they're just not following this morning. Um, he also is instructed to treat women, older women, as mothers. We could all use a spiritual mother in our life, especially if you grew up in a, in a household where your mother is not a Christian or was not a Christian, that you could use a, a woman with some wisdom and some years that can take you under her wing and love you as a spiritual mother. He says that he is to look at younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters and likewise encourage both. And he's to look at those younger women in all purity. Protect those younger women in your life, Timothy. So how do we apply this to our lives? That we are to love one another like brothers and sisters. That's how we apply this. Because Jesus told the world that the world they would realize that we are his disciples if we love one another. That's one of our greatest, greatest apologetics is that people see our love for one another. And so if we as sojourners want to bear witness to the world around us, the city around us, and maintain union in the church, we'll obey scripture and treat one another with honor. So we start there by treating one another with honor in the family of God. Number two, we are to honor and to care for those without family. Now this is going to be the, the, the largest chunk of what we're going to look at today. And Timothy spends, or Paul spends a lot of time instructing him in this area. Once again, I think part of it was the context of where he was at that time. But let's unpack this. Um, he says that we are, this, this text or these verses specifically focus on how we honor and care for, for widows. As this was very important from the church, from the early start of the church. It wasn't something they added later. And so let's pick up in verse 3. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. It's going to be key. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let's pause there. 
See, the primary concern in this set of verses here is identifying which widows should be provided for by the church. Because he doesn't say just provide for all widows. He kind of puts some categories around who is to be provided for. Now, we have to remember, at this time, there were no pensions. There were no retirement plans. There were no life insurance policies. You ever watch Dateline? And men were the primary providers, so women who lost their husbands needed to be cared for somehow. So he's instructing the church, this is what you are to do with these people. Let's pick up in verse 9. It says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they care for those who are truly widows. Okay, so we see three instructions regarding widows here. First, we are to filter the candidates, who, who's actually a candidate for us to care for. We're to determine the responsibility, and then we are to enroll them for service. So first, filter the candidates. We are determined if the widow is a candidate actually cared for by the church. And so the natural questions, he says, are, does she have children or does she have grandchildren? People who would be uh, the ones who could care for her first if they are able. He also says, is she below a certain age and is she, uh, is she healthy? These are the categories that matter. Second, we're determined responsibility. Who is going to care for them? If they have family and they are able to provide the children and the grandchildren, then the responsibility actually falls back onto them first and then he also says if she's able and desires to remarry, then that's a viable option as well. Once again, we've got to think of this context. I'm not saying just you have to have to go out and do this, but that's, that's an option. That's an opportunity there. And third, we are to enroll them for service. That we show honor and dignity to widows by enrolling them for service. Here's what he means by that. Widows are great candidates for service in the church because they are not occupied with a spouse and children. Like, if, if anything, when you, when you, like, he's told us in this whole book of Timothy, there's elders, there's deacons, like, he's given these different roles. Some would even argue you almost should add widows underneath that list. I think that this is uh, an area that has been underutilized in the church. I'm not talking about the church broadly. That, that you have these single people who are at a stage of life where maybe their spouse has passed away who could get, be given their life for serving God and his church because they don't have the other responsibilities like myself, of a, of a spouse and, and children. And it says that this is a worthy and honorable calling that can be provided in the church. And so what we see here is that provision for one's own family is a spiritual issue of highest importance. Did you see what it said in verse 8? Verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives... And especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I know you might be hearing this widow part and thinking, how does this apply, right? And maybe, all right, now this is where it really hits us, kind of hits us home. That we are to provide for 
our families as people of faith. And so they're worse than an unbeliever if we don't do that. Why is that the case? Because unbelievers recognize this. Unbelievers recognize, man, I have a responsibility to mom and dad. Because they took care of me when I was in need, and now I'm to take care of them in, in their older life. My parents are taking notes right now. I know at home watching, they're like, okay, we're hearing what he's saying there. So how do we apply this in a world where both men and women work, where we have pensions, where we have retirement plans, where we have life insurance policies? Two things. One, and he's talked about this a couple weeks ago, a couple chapters ago, we need to recognize in the church that women have always played an important role in the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. All the women are like, yeah, women have always played a special role in the church. And second, the church is called to care and serve those who are left without support from a spouse. And I think that could be men or women. Specifically here, it's referring to women. So we think about our conduct. That could be a single mom who, who we come across. Now, he, it, he's primarily referring to within the church. And that's kind of what we normally see. When we talk about caring for the poor, it actually starts within the family of God first. Let's care for ourselves. Let's make sure those that are in our midst are taken care of. But then let's also go outside of the walls of the, of the body and care for those as others. And so uh, it starts primarily within the church, but this could apply externally for those that we come across in our midst. And just for the record, uh, Sojourn has had some opportunities to do that. Hasn't just been ongoing, but we've had some one-off opportunities with some people who found themselves in a similar type of scenario, situation, that we've been able to help. And so hopefully, by God's grace, we'll be able to continue to do so. So that's how we would apply that, to be able to care for those who found themselves without anyone else in their life able to be to care for them. Number three, honor and care for faithful elders. Okay, this one's a little bit awkward to go through, uh, but let's pick up in verse 17 and see what Paul's telling us. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So we see the role of an elder, a pastor, involves authority. Once again, he talked about that, uh, I think it was chapter 2 or 3. But here he's saying, particularly in the preaching and teaching of God's word, and that those who labor well are deserving of double honor. Now, I will tell you that, that preaching, what I'm doing at this moment, actively, as I'm sharing from God's word, it is tiring. It is exhausting. Because it's not only in this moment, but it's also the prep and the work that goes behind getting to this moment. Now, it's not the only thing that I do in my week, especially as a church planter. Like, if, if we had a much larger established church, I probably would actually spend more time on it. But it is a very big chunk and important part of my week, and it can be exhausting. 
Some Sundays, not all, but some Sundays I am wiped out when I get home. I don't know how guys preach like five, sitting five sermons because I'll be wiped out and exhausted. I think sometimes it's that spiritual warfare element, especially if it's a heavy text and topic that I'm preaching on. And so that's what he's addressing here. And so he, Paul says, first, the church is to show double honor to those elders who are preaching and teaching. And this would include compensation. Now, Paul is not requiring pastors to be paid double salary, just that the church should be generous in providing for them. Now, Paul, if you know much about him, he did not always take a salary himself. He was known as a tent maker, but there's other times that he took financial support. And so it is okay for pastors to take a salary, but not to abuse it to be wealthy. We've talked about the documentaries and docuseries and uh, private jets and how, what's permissible and what's not. He's not saying take double honor and live at large, but, but that it's okay for a church to provide for those who are serving in this capacity. And so one of the first questions that I'm asked, let's make it kind of bring it home a little bit. When somebody learns I'm a pastor, especially I'm a pastor in this city, they say, how do you get paid? It's a very curious question. Like regardless if they know anything about our church, how do, you, how, do you, how do pastors make money? And there's various ways to do that. So that's a fair question on many levels. But in case any of you are wondering, this is kind of like a little bit of a family conversation here. I just felt like this would be a great week to, to have it because it's relevant to the text. The majority of our budget and financing as a church currently is from outside what I call kingdom partners. Generous churches and individuals have said, man, we care about what you're doing and what God is doing in the city of Portland, that we want to get behind that. And we want to help be the engine to kind of give you some fuel to where it is that you are headed. And praise God for them. And if you're tuning in this week, we're thankful for you. And we pray that you are multiplied and continue on. Presently, this includes my salary. In case, you, you know, once again, you're like, man, this, I know Matt goes to coffee shops a lot, but he doesn't work at the coffee. Like, what's he doing? What's he doing with his time? But this is not an endless supply of finances. Those partners will not. Some of them may, but to my knowledge, they're not going to stick around forever. And so we cast a vision of, in fact, it was eight years ago this month that myself, Andrea, and Oliver, one month old Oliver, were in Portland praying through, does God want us to come to this city? So eight years ago, at this moment, I had zero partners, zero people. I had no clue how it was ever going to work. All I know is my wife came to me and said, I never want to live off of fundraising, and I never want to live off supporters, and then God called us to do this thing. But we cast a vision for seven to, seven to ten years in a city like Portland, pre-pandemic, and we had some very faithful and generous partners who stuck with us. You, you guys got to meet some of those as they come out usually in the summertime and want to be with us. You'll get to meet our primary partner or a few people from that at our fall retreat here in just a few weeks. And so I would ask that you would pray for Sojourn, pray for our church over the next three to five years as Lord willing we would grow that we'll have to make some changes with that. We'll have to see that number eclipse as internally we continue to be generous and that the outside support would go down over time. At this moment, we're okay. For this coming budget year, we're okay. And I don't tell you that as a way to say, well, maybe I shouldn't be generous. I say that to say, like, we're planning this thing out and figuring it out. But then at some point, it'll, it'll have to start doing like this, if that makes sense. Okay? I love that Paul compares pastors to an ox. In fact, if I ever get a tattoo, this is now on my list of tattoos. I'm just getting this epic-looking ox. They say, why do you have that ox? Because it tells us here that not to muzzle an ox. This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 25.4, which requires an owner to allow an ox to eat off the grain he is grinding. 
one who works for something that he should be able to benefit from. So that's what he's, what he's saying there. Second, the church is called to honor and care for elders by protecting them from false accusations. What he's saying here is accusations that they should be based on substantial charges. And that there should be two to three. Now we've got to be careful with this, right? We've, we're, we're at a time in history where there's accusations that come out a lot. And many of those, unfortunately, have proven to be true. Uh, don't get on Twitter. Don't especially don't get on Christian Twitter. Not that it's a separate Twitter, but it's just it's just awful. But I am on there, and I get sucked into the wormhole, and I follow. I'm not even going to put the name out there, but I follow this individual, and they're always like whistleblowing on on, on organizations. And unfortunately, it's just sad to see those stories. I just some of them I'm not surprised. I'm like, hello, Timothy's been warning us about these people, but other ones it's like, man, really that person too. And so we have to keep that in mind. Um, it's just going to assume it wasn't as prevalent then, but he's saying that elders should receive protection against false accusations. Ridiculous accusations. Leaders are always prone to attacks. I was hesitant to even mention this because I'm afraid someone tried to go to find it. I think I'm the only one that has a copy of it, but there was, there was actually a, a false accusation. Now I don't mind telling you what it was, but an individual made a video, a 10-minute video about me and another pastor, uh, one of our partners on the East Coast, uh, and how they were going to write this book. And here's what's interesting. I never met this lady. I never even met the person. And it was like they were trying to get something out of it. And I'm thinking, man, there's way more like prevalent known pastors if you're going to make a false accusation to get something out of it. And so even myself, I've learned, man, the, the attacks will come. Which brings me to number three underneath this category. The church is to honor and care for elders by calling them out when there are credible accusations. And reasonable. Because there are genuine accusations. And we take those seriously. Right? And there's, we can't, we're not going to nuance it, but there are categories, right? By God's grace, you won't ever hear this, but if, if there's a category of if something was someone was accused, you have to look into these things. And so when there are genuine accusations, we take those very seriously. Here he says specifically those who are persistent in unrepentant sin. There's been something that's been found out. They've been approached and says, hey, you need to stop doing this. But they continue doing that anyway. And we're instructed to call them out and to do so publicly. Like we always think, man, let's keep this a private matter. I like, know it says we're to do so uh, publicly. I know another church here in town. I'm not going to mention the name of the church. They wouldn't mind if I did. They're very like-minded, theologically minded. And... Um, their pastor started their church, had a, had a, a, a falling, I will just kind of categorize that, and they wrote a letter. And they put the letter out there. And anyone ever been to their church, they emailed the whole church. Wow. And they put a thing out on social media as well, just say, hey, this is with accusation, here's what happened, it proved to be credible, this, 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 and this. I remember thinking, man, is that the right way to do it? And then I read this, and I thought, I think maybe they actually handled it the right way. They were saying, hey, we don't want to put this behind closed doors, and it comes out later, we try to hide it and slide it under the rug. Like, we just want to put it out there and get out in front. And the reason they do so publicly is so that the rest will stand in fear of sinning themselves. And so it's, it's a way for the other elders to go, like, uh-oh. All right, let me, let, me, let me get this right with God. Now, to be clear, Philip Jensen, I love this quote. He says, the aim of confronting sinners, now this would be all sinners, not just elders, is always restoration, not condemnation. The aim of confronting sinners is always restoration, not condemnation. So even yourself, you find yourself caught up in something, if you're confronted by one of your brothers or sisters that we talk about in honor and care for them, it's so that you can be restored, not condemned. 
Now, it's not clear exactly why Paul instructs Timothy. Like, he's going about this, like, confronting elders, honoring elders, caring for them. And then in verse 23, he says, to not only drink water, but to also drink a little bit of wine. One pastor's takeaway was this. Churches drive pastors to drink. <laughs> so there you have it. Fourth, the church honors and cares for elders by being slow to appoint them to eldership. Some who desire eldership have blatant sins. It's, it's obvious. Based on the requirements, qualifications, you go, that person is not ready. Let's pump the brakes. Maybe you'll get there. But then others have something that, that is more hidden, more secret. We don't necessarily know that. So it says, be cautious, be slow to appoint them as elders. Because we honor and care well, not only for the active elders, but the entire church body when we go slow and watch the lives of those that we are considering for eldership. He says, watch those who are serving without seeking recognition. Conspicuous. Sometimes those who, who are serving in certain ways, who aren't seeking recognition at all, they're actually some of the best candidates for potential leadership in the future. Because sometimes you see somebody who will serve in a certain way, and it's like, hello, look at me, look what I did. That's like someone who just comes in, somebody who might show up early or stay late. They, ways that go unnoticed have a lot of potential for leadership in the church. So how do we apply this one? We honor elders through respect, through trust, and provision, but we also call them out when necessary in order to restore them. Which brings me to number four in our final category this morning. Honor authority in your life. Now we're going to actually get into chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor." so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Now, depending on what version of Scripture you're using or what's translation, contrary to what those outside the church might try and convince you of, slavery is not part of creation. God's created order. Slavery is a result of sin. Now, and it was different at this time. Once again, we're not going to take time to nuance that right now, but the motive for bond servants honoring their masters is similar to the same motives that were mentioned before for honoring other people, that you would give a good impression to those who are not followers of Jesus. So to be clear, here's how the Bible approaches slavery. The Bible condemns slavery. This slavery undermines creation, and it violates God's word. Second, the Bible regulates slavery. God mandates physical protection for those who are in this category. God requires financial provision for those in this category. God ensues, ensures caring supervision of those in this category, and God promotes their eventual freedom. Number three, the Bible encourage, encourages slaves. It says, honor unbelieving masters and respect believing masters. And fourth, the Bible redeems slavery. Think about Jesus, our master. And slavery and servant can be used as interchangeable in the original language. Think about Master Jesus. He became a servant, and we would gladly become his servants as his followers. So how do we apply this to our lives in a world that looks very different? By honoring authority in your life. Everyone has somebody who's an authority in their life. Could be a boss, could be a teacher, could be a coach, but there's somebody who you have to report to in some level, in some manner of your life. And so children and teens, honor your parents. I got a thumbs up for one of my sons. The other one's not so sure. Thumbs up and a high roll. <laughs> Athletes, 
Honor your coaches. Students, honor your teachers. Employees, honor your boss. And so forth. Whoever it is in your life. It doesn't say you have to agree with them. It doesn't say you have to do things that are, you know, there becomes a, a matter of, man, I respectfully disagree, but honor them. Show them the value of who it is, the, you know, the fellow humankind, and that you can honor and value them. Honor them so that God and his glory is put on display. You know, if you, if, if you work for a, a, a boss who's not a Christian, which is very likely many, if not all of you, and you're living life in such a countercultural way that you're honoring them and valuing them. Because here's, here's what happens. I remember my, my dad dealt with this a lot in his career. Maybe you've dealt with this. When people learn that you are a Christian, you get put into a different category. You get put into a different box within the workplace, within the work environment. And so you get treated very differently. Not always, but oftentimes. And so you get an opportunity, though, to show that person honor, regardless how they're treating you. And that will speak volumes that you don't even recognize and realize. My, my dad, I remember dealt with this a lot, had people who he reported to years later give their life to Christ, who reconnected with him. I said, man, I'm so sorry. And this, this, this is how this, this went. So by showing honor to those who are authority in your life. And our final question this morning, above all, are you honoring Jesus? Are you showing honor to Jesus in your life? Because if you're honoring Jesus, then there's little doubt that you're honoring one another, that you're honoring widows, that you're honoring elders, and that you're honoring those in authority. Because honoring Jesus is our motivation for honoring all these other groups of people. Otherwise, we don't have any motivation. And you think about Jesus, he did all of these forms perfectly. Jesus honored us by calling us brothers and sisters. Jesus honored all women, including widows, with his life and his actions. Jesus honored elders by being the chief shepherd. And Jesus honored the authority of the day by laying down his so now, sojourners, let us, as a church body, honor him at the table that he has prepared, provided, and invited us to partake in. Pray with me. God, we thank you for another week that we can gather as your bride. The church that you have called us to be. Although we are far from perfect, God, I thank you for the church that you are building here. God, if I'm honest, at times it is slow and much slower than I would want. But as I take a step back, I see that you're building something very special here. And God, thank you for that. God, thank you that we are a church where, from all appearances, we are showing honor and value to one another. And I pray that that would continue. God, I pray that we would honor one another with our lives and how we, we interact. God, I pray that we would um, honor those who have found themselves without care by a biological family. God, I pray that we would honor church leaders that get put into our life and as we would grow and add more leaders. And God, I pray that we would honor those authority in our lives who we have to report to or how, who we serve under in some capacity. And God, I pray that we would honor the stranger in our midst and that as we would go outside these walls, even this morning, God, if we go out to eat, if we go to a coffee shop, whatever else we do as we interact with people, that we would show them honor, we would show them value, 
that there's dignity in human life because they were created by you. And that we would remember that, God, as a church. God, now as we go to the table, that we would remember that we show you honor. And God, that reminder is that you are the one who took our place, God, on the cross, so that we wouldn't have to. And so, God, we thank you for that blessing. Thank you for this invitation, for inviting us into your family. And God, now we honor you in the way that we respond. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.